Hi, and welcome to Popaholics, the show where a dad and daughter dish on pop culture. I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. And uh, Kate, what have you been up to? You know, here we are in February and it's <laughs> Our last and gray show. outside. Uh, you know, life stuff, being a mom, having a full-time job, all of that. <laughs> so there you go. I wish it was a more exciting answer, but it's it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we played at a Tilt a Squirrel. You know, one of my bands played at a farmer's market this past Saturday, and uh, people really liked it, particularly little kids. Because, uh, you yeah. know, I think mentally little kids and I are on the same. Uh, That's your target body. That's my target <laughs> So anyway. We're gonna. We're not going to talk about Seagulls music. We're going to talk about pop culture, and I'm going to start. Okay. I know I have a few more things to talk about than you do. So there's this new series on Netflix called Kunk. That's C-U-N-K on Earth. Kunk on Earth, and it's a five-part series. And correspondent Philomena Kunk goes to exotic locations and interviews scholars and experts about the history of humanity. It looks like a classy BBC series until she starts asking questions. For instance, she's interviewing Martin Kemp, who's a professor at the University of Oxford, about the Renaissance period. She asks, in all seriousness, which was more culturally significant, the Renaissance or Single Ladies by Beyonce? <laughs> and so he's he's kind of a good sport, this guy. And he goes, well, you know, the Renaissance was trying to reform culture as a whole. And quote, whatever Beyonce does, I don't think she's quite got that ambition. So then <laughs> Philomona Kunk responds with bewilderment. So what? The work of a few straight white men just blows Beyonce out of the water? I would say that maybe Beyonce is, I think that, be well, Lizzo, I didn't watch the Grammys, but Lizzo said something in her thank you speech at, to Beyonce at the Grammys the other night that was like, you're the most you know you're the artist of our generation or something like that so i would say it's not as culturally she's <laughs> she's culturally significant to our time but she's not as culture culturally significant in the great span of human history as the renaissance kate but we don't know that yet <laughs> okay. well anyway getting back to kunk on earth kunk you see is the fictional creation of a comedian named diane morgan and she's been a fixture on british tv since she first appeared on this uh, daily show-like program about 10 years ago. So she's done similar shows on Britain, Shakespeare, and Time. I've got to go back go and see bits of the one on Time. Mm -hmm. And so here she's taking on the history of humanity. She's confident, she's irreverent, and she's notoriously ill-informed. Ill so at one point she's explaining about the importance of the omission of the wheel. And she said, says, the wheel moves you forward by pushing the whole planet backwards. Then <laughs> she's interviewing this this expert on uh, e Egyptology, and uh, she goes, "How did they build the pyramids from the top down?" <laughs> it's and very Python esque, which it's I very think is And so, the, why you the like funny it. thing to me is, you know, she's been on British TV for about ten years. This character, and yet the academics. Sometimes they seem startled by these silly questions. Sometimes they seem irked. <laughs> Sometimes they play along. And I mean, half the fun of the show is watching how they react to her. I giggled and chortled throughout the episodes I watched. So that's Kunk on Earth. Highly recommended if you need a laugh. 
Kate, what do you uh, <laughs> what have you been consuming pop culture wise? TV wise, and I can't really talk about it, but because I just got back into it. TV wise, have we talked about how I have the PBS's streaming app now? Did you know that they have a streaming app? First of all, it's BritBox, isn't it? No. So PBS Public. Oh, PBS. I was thinking BBC. Sorry, I was stuck in film. They they have a streaming service, and you can. It's donation based, and to get the streaming service, I think it's like ten dollars minimum, and that goes to your local PBS station. So in Kentucky, it's KET. Um, I don't know, you know, what it is in the rest of the United States, but FYI here. But go ahead. There you go. But so I recommend if you don't have it. Because nowadays there's so many people that just aren't that it's all streaming. They don't have you know the they cable. Cable. They don't have the antennae on top of their TV sets. Exactly. So I would recommend if you are a masterpiece theater person like I am, you should sign up, donate to your station, and then you get access to all of these shows. And a lot of the BBC shows end up on PBS. So that is a whole long thing to say that I have been catching up on Grant Chester, which is it's a clergyman detective show, which we've talked about before. And so I'm on season six right now. I think there's seven or eight seasons in. So I've just been catching up on that. But it's nice to like go back and go back and watch old seasons of Grant Chester or Downton Abbey or um, Miss Scarlet and the Duke, which is another detective show that I like. So. <laughs> There's that. Um, but but really, the actual things that I have to talk about today are two books. And I'll start with one, and then it'll be your turn again. I read The Cloisters by Katie Hayes. That's K-A-T-Y-H-A-Y-S. I thought it was a really interesting take on tarot cards. People that know me and our friends and family know that I am into tarot, and I picked it up a couple years ago. And mostly I just read for myself when I feel like I need some guidance. There's a lot of back and forth on, is it real? Is it fake? Can you actually, you know, predict anything? Yada, yada. That's, I think it depends on who is reading and what is going on in your life. That's my opinion. I have had some readings where, specifically one where from a person that did not know me, had no prior knowledge of anything related to do with me and she predicted a pretty big uh life-changing event so (laughs) that's where i stand so anyway so in the cloisters it is the uh it's a debut novel and it's about a group of researchers that work for the the cloisters which is part of the the met um in new york And their research into tarot cards and the history of tarot cards and legitimizing tarot cards, it kind of almost takes a single white female turn. I don't want to give anything else away, but basically it it brings the main character, Anne Stilwell, into this group of researchers. She's lost. She's looking for something. And then she comes across these tarot cards that her research group is using and and trying to find more information on and things take a turn from there yeah that's all i want to say it is it is thrilling it's creepy uh but it's not like scary scary 
which and we know. Do you I'm, feel like they use? Yeah. Do you feel like the author used tarot cards in a way that is really representative of tarot cards? I think that it for the broader public, people that don't that kind of know what tarot is, but they don't they haven't like they don't have in depth knowledge of it. I think it's a good. It's an appealing use of those. So it's an easy way to go to get into it without getting like lost in the sauce. <laughs> and so I think people that enjoy sus- suspense novels, novels with a little bit of like magic and like, woo, nobody can see my hands going. Woo, um, <laughs> I think that they will enjoy it. Yeah. There was, there was one twist where I was like, really? But it did make sense for the story. So that's the cloisters by cloisters by Katie Hayes. And it was on it's instant New York times bestseller. My thing says in all capital letters. And so wow. that's what's important. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about a mystery series. We've talked about knives out and knives out glass onion movies mystery movies created by uh ryan johnson with the with the very eccentric detective craig yep okay so it's probably no surprise but ryan johnson grew up watching tv mysteries and so he was a very big fan of character driven tv mysteries so for instance columbo mm-hmm. murder she wrote with uh, jessica fletcher and angela lansbury playing a uh, mystery novelist and there was a piece in the New York Times where he talked about his favorite episodes. And I mean, you could tell he had studied these. He, he was explaining, okay, this is why this one works and why it's so good. And he yeah. was making all these references and stuff. Okay. He and Natasha Leon, who was in Orange is the New Black and also mm-hmm. a Russian doll, crazy redhead person. She gets typecast, I would say, as a crazy redhead person. We don't personally know if she's crazy. I think, I think some of that is her personality. <laughs> okay. Her real life personality. Anyway, so they, so Ryan Johnson has created this uh, series called Poker Face, which is on Peacock. Natasha Leon plays Charlie, who has the this audibility. She can t- always tell when someone is lying. Now, she can't tell why they're lying. She just knows they're lying, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, as you find out in the first episode, she had tried to unsuccessfully to use this ability in a shady way to make big bucks, uh, but as the without actually working. But now that the the series is opening, she's living in this ramshackle trailer, and she's working as a cocktail waitress in this uh, casino. Her friend is killed, but Charlie doesn't accept that the friend's loser husband did it. We know he didn't either because, just like in Colombo, we see the murder taking place performed by the casino fixer, Benjamin Bratt, working on the behest of the casino manager played by Adrian Brody. Okay? Oh, man, those okay. are some big names. Some big names there. And we so we see the murder occur. So then when they are talking about it, she can tell they're lying. But she has to play amateur sleuth to figure out why they're lying and then who actually committed the murder. She's also a speak first, think later kind of character, often calling uh, BS on someone who's lying before realizing by doing so she's putting herself in mortal danger. (laughs) And um, so subsequent episodes with with, uh, her on the run from the mob, she's on the run on the road across America from the mob, play out the same way. There's a murder. She shows up and, you know, figures Mm -hmm. out what actually happened. So this is 
this is very much like episodic network TV, but it is elevated by the premise, the writing, which sometimes has an offbeat sense of humor, and then Leon, who excels as playing uh, foul-mouthed women who are a hot mess. When I say the oddball sense of humor, there's a great scene where she's in a truck stop and she's trying to remember a clue based on a song lyric. And so she's kind of humming stuff and these truckers are standing around her trying to guess what song it is. And then one of them actually bursts <laughs> into song. Pretty funny. So that's Poker Face on Peacock. And I thought it was I thought it was great. So cool. I'm a big Natasha Leon fan. Ever since Russian Doll, man, she's so yeah. good in that. Well, she's been working for like a long time because she was in one, a bunch of the like teen movies from the 90s and independent yeah. films. So, yeah, good. Good to see her gaining more recognition. And you um, have another book you wanted to talk about, right? Yeah. So I, I, it was a race against the clock to finish this before my, my borrowing time ran out because I read a lot on my library app. But so then if you go past your, you know, your 14 day rental, it just disappears into the ether. And then you have to like put another hold on it again. So anyways, so I read, (laughs) just finished The Whalebone Theater by Joanna Quinn. This has been on all of the best of book, book lists from last year. And I would describe this as a family saga uh which centers on the well i'm gonna lump them together because it's kind of a dysfunctional family the seagrave children christabel digby and florence who all grow up on this kind of crumbling english manor in the 1920s and then it follows them through the end of world war ii and why is the book called the whalebone theater because as children they're Manor House is on the coast, somewhere in England. I can't remember north or south, but a right at the beginning of the book, a whale washes ashore and dies. Nobody can get it back out to sea. And so then Christabel, the oldest seagrave child, convinces her family that this is her whale. They're going to take the bones because eventually the, <laughs> the bones are exposed. They're going to take the bones and they're going to make a theater And growing up, her and her brother and sister put on all these productions and people from the village come and see it. And it's like this huge thing throughout the the whole book. I would say if you like historical fiction, uh, especially if you like novels kind of set in and around World War II, because it's still it's it feels weird to say it's still pretty recent, but it's such a big it was such a huge part of everyone's life. That, lived uh-huh. that of course it would such a, a wild time would give rise to all of these series and you know movies and everything that has to do with all kinds of different parts of growing up English wanting to do your part for the war maybe not agreeing with what the the, the people in charge are doing mm-hmm. to win the war all that kind of stuff. A friend and I were talking about it and she said sometimes she finds it really hard to follow like multi-generational stories like this, which really, it does kind of start that way, but then it really focuses in on the children. So, so yeah, I would, there's a reason why it ended up on one of the best of lists because I I really enjoyed it. It Made me a little emotional last night when I was finishing it up. (laughs) Uh, The Whalebone Theater by Joanna Quinn. 
by Joanna Quinn. So I want to talk about a show that we we have mentioned before on the podcast. Sometimes, you know, there are shows that you can recognize they're good, that they're well-made, but then when you try to watch them, you're not in the right headspace, you're not in the right mood, and it just doesn't click. So that happened with me and Bad Sisters, which um, is on Apple Plus TV. This came out, I think it was last year, maybe. Yeah. I tuned in. I thought, this is really well made. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Sharon Horgan, who's an Irish actress, writer, producer, director. So great in c- Catastrophe, that wonderful, wonderful uh, series about a relationship. And so I was super excited to watch this thing. And then it, it just felt super, super dark uh, to yeah. me. I couldn't get into it. So watched one episode, went away. Okay. So then Trish was, was reading, uh, you know, people kept recommending it. So we went back to it and this time, bam, you know, we, we were, we were hooked and we were binging it every night. We were watching, you know, as many episodes (laughs) as we could squeeze in. Yeah. So if you haven't seen bad sisters, the plot is it's set in Dublin, Ireland. There are these five sisters, the Garvey sisters, and, you know, they're all very different. One, the oldest one raised the other four after their parents were killed in a car crash. So, like, there's one who's an, a lesbian. There's one who is having an affair. There's uh, the younger, impetuous, uh, you know, sister. Okay. One of them is married to this controlling, manipulative guy. He's uh, the worst. <laughs> the other systems call, other sisters call him the prick. Yeah. Um, and so as the show opens, he's dead. Okay. But then there's the sisters are suspected of killing him. And so as the series goes on, it jumps around in time from present day back to, you know, when, mm-hmm. when he, he caused problems for each one of them and then their attempts to kill him. And meanwhile, these insurance investigators are pursuing him, right. Are trying to prove that, you know, one of them killed him. Great, great show. Like it's well written, and I could talk about everybody in the cast, but I'll single out Horgan, who's just great as the oldest uh, sister Eva, and who feels responsibility for the rest of them, even though they often don't want her to be like their surrogate mother. Yeah. Um, Sarah Green is is uh, BB, who's the uh, lesbian. She lost an eye in a car crash caused by John Paul, the manip- manipulative guy. And she's filled with a thirst for revenge. She also wears this cool eye patch, you know, which makes her look kind of piratey. And then I have to mention Eve Hewson, who plays the youngest sister, mm-hmm. she, uh, the impetuous one. She's Bono's daughter. Bono's daughter. I think we talked about this when I first mentioned I was watching it. And I, I'm glad you guys went back to it because I never finished it. So, Well, we, we finally finished back. it last night. And um, it's just tremendous we are very satisfied by it and um i would just say to people if you tune in pay attention to the rube goldbergish opening title sequence um it contains clues to everything that happens in this limited series okay it's, there's about 10 episodes maybe as well as being set to a very creepy version of a leonard cohen tune performed by pj harvey that's the bad sisters on apple plus yeah. I, I don't have anything else to talk about. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll talk about a book and then we'll see if I have time to squeeze in what I'm reading now. 
Andy Weir wrote a book called The Martian that um, was a very satisfying sci-fi adventure about an astronaut stranded on Mars and things he did to survive. And, and then they it made it into a movie. Pretty good movie with Matt Damon. So then after that, Weir wrote another novel that just didn't work. And now he's back. Uh, this is a 2021 one with a novel called Project Hail Mary. And so, um, again, he's with the theme of a man all alone out in, out in outer space. He wakes up on the spaceship. He, he uh, teammates didn't survive the medically induced coma they were put in. Okay, so he's mm -hmm. all alone. He can't remember who he is or why he's there initially. So Major creeped out. But then as, it, as the book goes on, he gradually realizes he's this nerdy junior high science teacher who, thanks to a paper he once wrote about the, uh, the roots of alien life, I got involved in this intergalactic mission to save the Earth. There's this alien form that's I'm trying to just think how to describe this. It's like eating the sun's rays. Okay. This uh, alien life form. I kept thinking of like Pac-Man going along. <laughs> eating the sun rays. But the, the problem is it's eating. It's out in space eating the sun's rays. So then they don't, you know, they're gradually diminishing. And so Earth could face another ice age. This junior high science teacher who's out there has to figure out how to stop it. And wait a minute, is that another ship coming at him? And is that an alien ship? <laughs> so the setup of this book is wildly, wildly improbable. The fate of the world, depending on a junior high school science teacher. And I mentioned, you know, the, the whole Pac-Man thing with the alien life devouring the sun's rays. But yeah. anyone who enjoyed The Martian will like this book, too. We're as great as, at explaining how to use scientific and math principles to solve problems for instance, like communicating with an alien life form for the first time. And um, I hadn't really thought through if it's not if they're not humanoid, how we communicate with them. Well, he has thought that through. And so it's a very, I'd say, the improbable parts of it aside, it's a very satisfying book. So that's Project Hail Mary. That's the name of the spaceship. And then finally, I'll mention I'm reading Christopher Moore's latest novel, The Razzmatazz, which is a euphemism for sex. He wrote a book set in San Francisco in the, well, it was immediately after World War II, and it had all kinds of eccentric characters, and there was a murder, and, um, you know, our hero is a sort of private eye investigator. He's got this beautiful girlfriend uh, whose na last name is Stilton, so everybody calls her the cheese. How can I describe this plot? It's, it's zany. There is a... I think I'm still reading this. So I think there's like an alien in it. I'm not quite sure what this character is yet. And then there's also somebody murdering lesbians who like to dress up as men. Okay. <laughs> which, which is a big, you know, San Francisco at this time had a lot of gay culture. And then there's a yeah. police chief who's not into that. Okay. And wants to wipe it out. So it's very entertaining. It's very funny. He's having a, obviously having a ball with these eccentric characters, and then also the 40s, tough guy, language, uh, you big jamook, um, <laughs> expressions like that that you don't hear anymore. So that's, it might just be called the Razzmatazz, but, but it's by Christopher Moore, who's uh, one of our great comic novelists. Cool. <laughs> All right. So, Kate, yeah. anything else? No. I told you. Just the two books. Well, we got a lot in. Okay. Well, Kate, where can people find us? 
People can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Papaholics Podcast, on Twitter at Papaholics. And please, if you have any recommendations for streaming, music, books, whatever, please send us an email to papaholicspodcast at gmail.com. To our listeners, sorry we've been away. We we had real life stuff going on, so <laughs> it happens. It happens. It yeah, happens. Life happens. Yep. So. All right. Well, for Papaholics, I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. Go out and enjoy pop culture. <laughs> Goodbye.